Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Martin, your co-host here of Broker's Playbook. I'm with Simeon Papaelius, the other host of Broker's Playbook. We are the founders, and we are so happy to have Kyra Wong, VP of Manulife, broker extraordinaire, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Magical Unicorn Project. Welcome, Kyra. Thank you. Welcome, Kyra. Hello, Laura. Nice to see you again. And uh, a huge welcome and round of applause for our special guest today joining us from Vancouver. Uh, it, we're, we're always, I find, very Toronto-centric because of, it's so easy to be Toronto-centric because we are in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, a massive talent pool uh, in the rest of the Canadian cities, especially in Van from the sheer population. So I'm very, very pleased uh, to have a, a voice from the West Coast uh, in such a senior uh, and prominent figure in this business. Welcome. Whoa, thank you. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to start because, uh, Kyra, you're a really uh, lovely guest to have. You have so much heart, and you're really bringing that heart to the industry that you've been in for, what, a couple decades now, probably? Yeah. yeah yes. Absolutely. So tell me about your origin story. What brought you to this industry, and what brought you to create the Magical Unicorn Project? Oh, wow. I mean, I don't know. Where do I start? I think in terms of an origin story, maybe to give a little bit of perspective about my background, uh, I'll tell you about my childhood because that was unusual (laughs) and kind of led to me, I think, being where I am today. But when I was growing up, I actually grew up in a really sort of uh, you know, religious, oppressively religious environment. And, you know, my dad was the grand pooba of the Christian congregation. And I grew up really feeling like I didn't fit in. I was, you know, the black sheep of the family, if you will. And I, I really, you know, felt invisible most of the time. And it was a hard experience for me. And then when I went to school, well, when I went to school, uh, that was kind of my place I felt to shine. And I really worked hard to get the approval of my teachers because I didn't feel like I was ever enough at home because of the, you know, the way I was being raised. And I was challenging my parents' views because a lot of what they believed just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. It was this us and them sort of mentality. And I think, I mean, today, one of my, my core, core values is unity. I believe in unity mm-hmm. and freedom. I believe in justice. And the way I was growing up really, uh, a lot of it was against my core values as a young human being. And so, what happened to me is eventually I graduated from high school and my parents bought me a pink suitcase as a graduation present. How fitting. <laughs> so I knew it was time, you know, to say goodbye. And I, my, here you smile. go. <laughs> <laughs> Take it in. Yeah. Did it come with yeah. a train ticket or nah? <laughs> My father actually drove me to Vancouver. Like, I think he was pretty happy to dump me off. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah, because he didn't want me corrupting the rest of my siblings. So here I was. I left a small little town in Alberta and came to the big city. I was a real little country bumpkin, very naive, like didn't know very much at all because I had this very restricted, uh, you know, Uh, upbringing where I wasn't exposed to very much. And so, you know, then I just had to sort of make it on my own at 18 and 
and my parents disowned me. They literally didn't want me in their life if, you know, I wasn't going to be like them. And so I felt completely invisible, erased, rejected, and super alone. I felt like a unicorn in a field of horses, right? I was just like out there on my own. And it was hard. Like, I'll, I won't say it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through in my life just because of how young I was. Yeah. But I well, well, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sure. put this out there. Uh, I know a bit about uh, Ms. Martin's background. Um, and I can tell you from mine, only because you said small town, Alberta, I immigrated to Canada in 95 into Red Deer, Alberta. Okay. There and, you and, go. I, and I left Red Deer, Alberta in 2000 on the first train out kind of thing. The minute I I did uh, because it's such an oppressive place to begin with. Forget that on top of that, the the kind of the the religious pressure that you were facing. So I just, what I want to do is I just want to stop to let you know that you're among people who understand quite a bit about personal Mm. hardship and identify with it in many different ways. So you're at home here. So I would love to hear all about it. Just so just as an FYI. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And and there is something too about a small town where you don't really have that freedom to just be you. There's so much sort of gossiping and everybody knows your business and is getting in your business. I love the idea of just going to a big city where I could be anonymous and just be who I was born to be. I was always somebody who has strong sense of self and a determination to be the person I was born to be. But obviously it came at a huge cost because like losing your family is probably one of the biggest things in life that you can lose. It helped me create my superpowers because once you experience that level of rejection, then it kind of frees you to do almost anything else in the world. And it's going to hurt less because, (laughs) you know, if the two people who brought you world and who are supposed to love you unconditionally, you know, kick your butt out the door and never see you again, then anything else compared to that is really very small, right? So it helped me grow, you know, a thick unicorn hide and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, be able to go out and do probably bigger things than I would otherwise be able to do. So so why don't we draw, draw out quality number one from Kyra Wong, or maybe the very first chapter uh, in this playbook, what did you use? What mental force did you channel to create that thicker skin to say, oh, P.S., you can say fuck on this. Uh, what, what did you use to create your shield and your thicker skin to be able to move to the next level? So rejection, like after you got hurt so deeply, nobody can touch you. How did you interpret that and, and bring that to now become your advantage? Because you can say yeah. when somebody gets hurt enough or you can't hurt them, they're fucking dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. I will mess you up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It well, doesn't have I, to be violence. It can be business no. success. You're 100% right. And you hit it on the nail. When that happened to me, I became relentlessly determined to prove that I was a good person. I would be successful. I would go out in life and dominate and nothing would stop me. It really was a huge driver, I suppose, to make uh, my my dad more so than my mom, but my dad wrong about me because I felt like I was now this bad person, or at least this is, you know, the lens they looked at me 
through and I was going to prove them wrong. I was going to go out there and sparkle and shine and succeed. And that really became, you know, <laughs> the force that that really drove my determination and, uh, you know, to succeed. Right. I love that. Relentlessly determined. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you land in the big city and your first job, what you wander in a real estate office. What happens? I actually got my first job uh, working at a mortgage broker company. And I was like, you know, such a little country bumpkin. They hired me as the receptionist. I had no idea how to do anything really. I mean, I could answer a phone, but even the fax machine, I remember the fax machine being like, wow, you put a paper through this and it's, you know, somewhere else now. Like how does what happened? I was just so inexperienced <laughs> in everything. And, but when I was putting in those big checks at the end of the month into everybody's mailbox, I was like, what is this business? What did these people do? Because the company I worked at, it was a bunch of like UBC guys that had just graduated and it was like a frat house. Like they were talking sports, they were reading the paper, they're having a good time all the time. And somehow just making all this money, which just seemed, you know, unbelievable. So I thought I have to get into this business, right? So that's what I did. I started off as a receptionist. I moved on to a mortgage clerk. I got licensed as a broker when I was 23. And I worked as a mortgage broker for a number of years. That's so interesting. My first like major job was as a office manager at a mortgage brokerage and real estate office. <laughs> and Sean Allen sort of shoulder tabbing is like, you need to just get your license. Like you're too smart for this. <laughs> <laughs> and same idea. I was just, you know, I'm like watching all the money flow around me and like, like I can do this. I can yeah, do this. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, of course anyone can do it. It's really just having, you know, that self-belief. Yes. Yes. But you deserve it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I wouldn't even say that I believed in myself. It took me a long time before I actually got to a place where I believed in myself, but I just had this will to succeed, right? I think if, as long as you have that will there, that you, that, that gas in your tank, it can really sort of motivate you to do more than you think you can do and at least try and go for it. What, what did you think of the mortgage business when you got into it? So you got into, you see people making big money, you get your license. What's your thoughts? How did you build a client base? What was your plan? Oh, I worked with a company that actually we got a bunch of business from bank turndowns. So I actually didn't have to go out there and actively pursue it. But my, I guess my superpower over the phone, I was really able to hotwire connections. I guess because I, you know, I don't judge people. That's one of the differences. I think, I mean, 100%. I embrace everybody. And so I was dealing with a bunch of subprime people, but I have a lot of compassion for people in general, just because I've learned that compassion, that empathy because of my own hard life experiences. So these are people be coming in, they've already been rejected from the bank They're They've had something go wrong in their life. Oftentimes it was a, an illness or a disability that had created uh, them being in this like sub prime category where they're, you know, they're robbing Pierre to pay Paul and their credit bureau took a hit and they weren't bad people at all, but they were being treated like they were bad. And this is very familiar to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're not bad. You know what I mean? And credit bureau, credit ratings can be fixed, baby. I've got you. And so I was just in there, like going to make everything better. I would give them a plan. This is how we, you know, start from at this point, we'll get you out of there. Uh, in a year. And I was the number one uh, broker at my firm when I was there. And I think it was just that passion and that desire really to help people 
more than it was any kind of motivation around money. So, so, so just my follow-up question to that, did you become then a relationship broker or, or did you maintain the funnel of uh, it's a numbers game? I speak to enough people, I'm going to do enough business. Or did all those people that you actually helped turn around and come, call you back in a year, three years, yeah. five years, how did that go for you? How did you build that funnel? Yeah, I just think if you, you know, if you do more than the average person is willing to do and you care more, see everything, I'm extra. <laughs> everything, I'm like an avocado. I'm extra and I know it. <laughs> but everything I do is is extra. Oh, like, and I've always operated that way. So I give everything 110%. And when you do that, people gravitate towards you. They trust you. And refer you business and they come back to you you become a trusted you know member of the family and uh and i wanted to be that for them i didn't ever want anybody to feel alone because i knew what that felt like in the biggest most you know intense way you know i think this is a great case for why people should hire for attitude above all else like i'm just imagining right now like some like okay let's say you're mormon and you like walk off the cornfield or whatever it is and (laughs) you're like hi i don't know how to zoom or type or anything but i'm ah i'm so extra i'd be like yeah you're in like you're in totally they say that right because it's really hard to train for attitude hire for attitude and you can and train the rest and i think that's true i've also read studies People who've been through really traumatic things and have gone through really hard experiences make some of the best em- employees because it it forces you to, you know, become stronger in other areas. Like I would never be this compassionate, this empathetic, this caring and loving if I hadn't had all those brutal experiences. But because I know how bad and painful those are, it's actually made me extra caring, extra loving, you know, extra like wanting to take care of everybody. So it's really, you know, benefit me in, and get, and given me an advantage in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I agree 100% attitude over skill any day. Um, I mean, there's been dozens of books written about it. Um, it's, it's We've seen it in our business and our team. I have a team of 45 agents. I don't even know how many dozens of agents are in Laura's, uh, in Laura's operation, but they have a huge office. Uh, and time and time again, uh, it, the proof is in the pudding. Like you have uh, a junior agent coming in within two years, they're doing 500K and you have seniors with all the skill in the world, but without the willpower, the discipline or the work ethic stuck and stagnant at hundred to 200 K there's no excuse in a market where the average transaction is 20 to 40 grand in my, I'm on the real estate side, you yes, guys are on the yes, mortgage yes. side, but yes. like what excuse do you have to not do a, <laughs> more than a deal every three months? Get the hell out of here. So yeah. like, uh, for me, it's inexcusable. Like if you're going to call yourself a senior broker, senior has nothing to do with your years in the business. It has to do with your production. You want to be yeah, treated yeah. like a senior, go to a residential home where you're a senior, get your seniors card, go to Rexall and get your discount. Go out to pasture. But, but, but don't, <laughs> don't call yourself a senior on a leading team in the country and, and come to, come to bat with three, four, six, eight deals. Cause what are you doing? And, and like, Eight hours a day just fascinates me. Eight hours in a day is the normal workload. If people in our business actually worked eight hours a day, this business would be insanity. (laughs) Two to four hours, which makes it easy for guys like me who work 16 hours to take over. 
Yep. For sure. <laughs> like it's it's really that easy. You are extra. <laughs> extra is the understatement of the year. So my whole organization is extra. My partner is extra. And, and I'm sure you'll meet Jazzy. Laura's extra. Everybody who I associate myself yeah. with, extra is the nicest way of calling us for what we are. So, so extra, I mean, extraordinary puts you in the realm of unicorns, just so you know. Love it. I love 100%. that. So yeah. tell us, tell us about right. this initiative. Yes, tell us about the magical unicorn project, which is above and beyond what you get paid for, what anyone asks you to do. Tell us about it. Okay, so I after I left, I'll after I, I'll back up a little bit. After I left brokering, I was actually going through a divorce, my second divorce, uh, and I had a brand new baby. He was only six months old at the time, and so just felt it was going to be too stressful to continue on dealing with prime clients because they had a lot of you know stuff going on in their own lives that required a lot of time and attention so i pivoted my career to do something different uh, because of what was going on in my own personal life and got this job at an insurance company it was an independently owned and operated insurance company that eventually was acquired by manual life and once that happened you know I, i'm just always somebody who's growing and learning and doing and you know constantly uh, <laughs> in an, in an upro, up, upward momentum. And I started climbing the corporate ladder, but which by the way, is not an easy to, thing to do at, at big organizations because you got a lot of competition there. But because I was always bringing something extra to the table, I managed to do that. And then what happened is in 2017, I was promoted to this VP position. And, you know, I was starting to look around and realize that, you know, where are all the women? Like, where are the mine? <laughs> Hello. Uh, it's like, they must be bumping up against the glass and not everybody has a sharp, you know, unicorn horn on their head to like punt through that glass. <laughs> so I thought, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go back down and, and get those people because it shouldn't be just a bunch of, you know, white men up here. This is, this is not good for business. And I recognize that. And I didn't feel my own voice could be heard the way I wanted it to be heard you know, without that, that diversity there at the top. So I had this idea to create the Magical Unicorn Project. And I know that sounds probably very out there for the financial industry, but I have my own unicorn identity of, you know, going out there, standing alone, you know, feeling invisible, feeling different. Like I've, I've got all these unicornisms, but also, you know, unicorns are, uh, they're, the union unicorn is Latin for one. And if there is one thing I really believe firmly in, it's the oneness of our humanity. And I wanted to see more equality and, and our, our financial industry has been heavily male dominated, especially in senior leadership management positions. It's almost, you know, white men everywhere you look and, and that's not, you know, nothing against white men, but I just felt like it was really time to change. So I created this project and I wanted to talk about corporate glass ceilings, which is a widely reported issue. Yep. Social glass ceilings, which has to, has to do with any you know sexist or sexually harassing behavior that goes on, and there's a lot of that that goes on. And then, the like uh, random guys giving you uh, shoulder rubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like all kinds. I mean, I'm probably not a woman out there that you know doesn't have some sort of story related to that. I wanted to address it because I think it's harmful, and I think it can. Uh, prevent women from progressing in their careers too, if they don't really know how to to deal with it. 
against it. Yeah, for sure. And then the last one, which is probably one of the biggest ones, is emotional glass ceilings, which is an internal issue. And it's the limited beliefs we put upon ourselves because we believe, you know, the crap that's been told to us and the we take the pains from our childhood and internalize them rather than, you know, defiantly, you know, going against those and saying, mm -hmm. hell no. And so, so that's why I created the project and I launched it at the beginning of 2018, knowing that there would be a lot of people who, you know, wouldn't understand why am I doing this? Why is she dressing up like some unicorn? But I do believe that if you go out there and do things in a different way, you can get a different result. And I want to feel approachable, not just to women, but to men, because we need the support of good quality men to be our allies, to help change where we are today, because really it's the white men in power who have the ability to change things not right so i wanted to bring them in i wanted them to feel safe within this project this isn't an, an attack on 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 men i mean equal rights are simply just human rights and equality is something that everybody uh deserves to have and i believe strongly in that i don't think anybody should be penalized because of their gender because of the color of their skin because of their sexual orientation etc etc right and that's the place heart that I feel we really have to get to. We have to embrace the oneness of our humanity and show up for each other with greater love and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's so much work to be done. And, and again, like, obviously my name is Simeon Papa Elias and I moved here in the mid nineties and I had a thick accent <clears throat> and I moved to Alberta, uh, which is not a place that fosters uh, for sure, it's there, no, they have a welcome wagon, but I'm not sure who it was meant to welcome because uh, I wasn't welcomed, and I can tell you that. So it's it's, and I'm not, and I shouldn't speak this way because I'm doing the same thing that was done to me. There's nothing wrong with Alberta, and there's nothing wrong with a cool eighty percent of, of Albertans. But I will tell you that twenty percent, which is such a massive number, there's something significantly wrong with those people. Uh, the, the amount of ignorance uh, that I have witnessed in the beginning uh, when I first moved here, after that I assimilated and I tolerated and I saw tons of things that I was not okay with, but I, I let slide in order to be able to assimilate and become popular and all the insecurities that uh, a kid has that I had to deal with and witnessed is beyond despicable. If anybody did those things or said these things to my children today, I can imagine what, like the rage that you would feel. But because uh, I, I am a fair skin Mediterranean, which is easily, you could say I'm Caucasian, mm -hmm. um, which I am. Um, yeah. It's easy to fall into the white male umbrella. And, and again, like there's layers to that too. Sure. Um, unfortunately, because if you're dealing with the establishment in which is Canada, which is a British colony, so an Anglo-Saxon does have an advantage in this country to this day. Um, and we see that across the Jewish community. We see that across many different communities that are Caucasian, but are treated very differently. Yes. So now add the layers of systematized racial inequality, gender equality, and I can tell you up until I was 27, we want to talk about inappropriate sexual harassment. It doesn't, you don't have to go grab a woman's ass to sexually harass someone. If you make a joke that has nothing to do with the people inside the room, 
but they have had an experience that's traumatic to them and you make light out of it. You don't know who you're offending. You don't know where people come from. And that's the issue. So it's not about being a snowflake or being liberal or being this. It's about being a human being. And you don't know who you're offending. And and I will tell you with absolute certainty, because I've talked about it with my wife, I didn't see these differences, especially when it comes to female empowerment and female oppression for that matter. I grew up in a Greek home. Rest assured, there was some big time imbalances in that power dynamic. Yes, And it's savage because my mother who passed away, may she rest in peace, did 90% of the work and got probably less than 10% of the credit in anything. Mm. And my dad, who is still here, and I love him very much, this is what he knew. Mm -hmm. But was he comfortable? Did he know he was doing something wrong? I can tell you that after my sister went to university and she started speaking out, he wasn't so comfortable (laughs) in his little fucking bubble. Yeah. (laughs) But slowly things did change. He got better as a human being. Good for him. Because he knew it was blatantly wrong. Yeah. When I moved to Toronto, when I was 20, when I met my wife at 27, I got better when I moved here because I was forced into a multicultural city because Greece is not multicultural. Mm, It's not. At all. And Greece is a racist place, meaning that anybody non-Greek is not Greek and we're better Except for Giannis. Except for Giannis, who (laughs) that's a different racial topic. Because if he wasn't the best basketball player on earth, pretty sure all these Greeks would be like, he's not Greek. Just saying. (laughs) But but to be clear, like like racism and inequality comes in so many different forms. In so many. And it's so complex. And in my opinion, I do believe in my heart that people who are doing wrong know they are doing wrong. Yes. So to ask someone to not do something wrong is the right thing to do at all times. Absolutely. And you make a really good point because one of the things I say in my project is like, in order to be an ally, we have to speak up. We have to speak out. And, you know, it's not about being aggressive or, you know, but call it out. Like my boss once said, yeah, you know, if someone, you know, does something and everybody just laughs, it normalizes it. But if someone speaks out and says, hey, man, like that's kind of offside, that's not really cool. Then all of a sudden the conversation changed, the dynamics change and people start to think, yeah, you know, like we'll, we'll make something else become normal now. So I, I do believe people know when they're they're doing the right thing and they're doing the wrong thing. But the important thing is a willingness to be aware and to grow and evolve as a human being and to become better. I mean, that's really the goal. And we should be striving for that. So Kyra, do you think that there should be um, policies in terms of more equal distribution at the top? Like, do you think that companies should have benchmarks for how many women or how diverse their upper level teams are? Yeah, I absolutely think they should. And a lot of the corporate companies do have that now, Manulife included, like they are, you know, on a tear to make sure that they have the diversity uh, at the top, women, minorities, and, and, and to bring more of that. And it's proven, if you look at the business outcomes, you're more profitable when that happens, when you have a diverse perspective, right? So it's actually in companies' best interest to do that anyways. And there are a lot of the corporate companies 
already out there, you know, proactively trying to make that happen. They and, and it's funny you say that the data is there because the data does exist to prove that 100%. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, yes. I, I think the biggest factor of somebody implementing that is that you're breaking down the norm, you know? It's like, you're going to tell me that I have to have 40% visible minority. You're going to tell me that I have to have a minimum of 30% uh, women or a minimum of whatever the case may be. People can't see through the short term, meaning that if, even if that was implemented, even if you weren't ready because your foolish organization is not inclusive, but at the end of the day, even if you had to change, it's a short-term pain that you would hire a woman or a business leader that's a visible minority that's not qualified, that only got in because of the quota. So if that's the case, you have plenty of time to take all the time you need to find the proper candidates, just like you would with your other business this whole time. Yeah, yeah. So, so even if you were what, you're going to lose 30, 60, 90 days? We're talking about human life and normalizing what's good. Mm. Absolutely. And this isn't just say we're hiring people just for the sake of hiring people to fill quotas. These are qualified people. But of yeah. course... What happens is, you know, and it's just a human condition. We tend to, you know, hire what's familiar to us. So if you're a white man, another white man feels more familiar to you. Yes. And I honestly believe I wouldn't have got this position when I first got hired. I believe I wouldn't have got it if it hadn't been the fact I was interviewed by two white women. And I, because I, I was also, I, you know, similar to them. But I had a brand new child, really, at the time. Like, my son wasn't even a year old. And this position required a lot of travel. But I think they believed in me because they had children. You know, they they figured she could do it. But if a white man <coughs> No, it would have been a non-starter. He would have been like, oh, she's got a brand new baby. Mm. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, I think my chances of being able to get the position might have been smaller because that might have, like, you know been a uh, you know a knock against me yeah so we hire what what feels you know similar to us so that's why we have to expand we have to go outside of our comfort zone and 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 you know move towards the things that are unfamiliar and i've always done that naturally just because i grew up as a religious minority so i used to pursue people who were also minorities but it, it was visible minorities right so all my best friends all my ex-husbands, my current husband, <laughs> like everybody is a visible minority because I have that minority, uh, you know, self-identity because of my religious upbringing. Those were the people that felt safe and felt like my kinds of people, if that makes sense. So I'm passionate about them. Do Good you recommend you. that everyday, you know, realtors and mortgage brokers put like take on a project like and do something philanthropic for something that they believe in what are the benefits that has brought you i mean you just kind of get opened up to a whole new world and a whole bunch of new people but i think like anything i mean every human on the planet wants to feel like they're significant that's just a fact. And when you can go out there and do something that positively impacts someone else, it makes you feel amazing. It's like money can't buy you that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? The positive difference you make on other people's lives and helping other people is probably one of the most 
happy and joyful things that you could ever do with your time. And, you know, you can build a legacy around it. I, I, I would tell everybody to go out there and do something, anything. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I will say this is what makes you a unicorn because the, the word <laughs> unicorn now is also being used uh, for, to describe companies that are doing a billion plus yes. in, in a yes. minute amount of time, et cetera. And, yes. and it's no different than being a unicorn in humanity. And it's no different than the message that you're spreading because you're not getting paid to be here, Miss uh, Vice President of Manulife. You're doing this because you want to, uh, to, to spread your message and, and, and you're hoping that it's going to make a difference. Um, Absolutely. W- w- with that said, I'm going to ask you a question. Actually, I have two questions. Um, <laughs> and, and this is uh, truly one is going to be to the VPs out there, male or female. And the other is going to be a question of your advice to the next 18-year-old Kyra that's about to make the decision of hopping on a Greyhound and heading to the city. So my my question to you as a VP of one of the nation's biggest financial services companies by a lot, Manuel is a massive insurance company, a massive bank. It's the largest in Canada, yes? The biggest. The biggest. The biggest. The the biggest. So with that being said, what is your advice to your male and female equivalents across the industries, period, on hiring? And what is your advice on their behavior and practices on a day-to-day basis? Oh, wow. It's like all these questions. I, I mean, I think the advice is simple. I think, you know, go outside of your comfort box, right? I'm all about, you know, dr- glittering outside of the lines, outside of the box, like look for something different than you challenge yourself, right? Because we all tend to stick to what we know. It's human, by the way, it's not criticism. It's human to do that. It's what feels safe. It's what feels normal. But So we have to challenge ourselves to go outside of what looks and feels normal to us and pick different things. Pick something outside the donkey herd. You know, there are unicorns out there and, and they're just waiting for you to be like, Hey, you know, and believe in them. So I would, I would go for, yeah, something different. Somebody who brings a little something extra to the table, even if they don't check all the boxes. Like I hate stuff like, Oh, this person doesn't have a degree or, or whatever. I think that the person is, is, I mean, yes, education is important, but it's not the end all be all. Like it can become very vanilla and very just like, I think some of the sparkliest, most beautiful super achievers, you know, barely graduated Correct. from them, right? But they got that High school grit. dropout. Hi. Totally, right? Grit. They got that grit. They got that tenacity. They're highly intelligent. Like don't, don't fall for what society tells you to look for. Think for yourself, be a free thinker and think big, think bigger than that and have that basis. Because I, I love that. So maybe your advice, that. so I think maybe your advice to Laura would be to stop hiring black women and hire a couple of white guys. <laughs> you know, Simos, I actually say that all the time. We need more white people on the I'm major joking. team. I'm not even I'm playing. Joking. I'm not even playing. I'm like, we need some serious, like we actually need more white people in Matrix though. It's not anyone listening. Come to Matrix if you're white. We actually don't. Everything is is exactly what it'd be. I think your broker is a powerhouse and an empowering state. Uh, that was a good many. 
no, I, I truly mean it. Uh, and uh, it, it's a it's a great job. Um, going back to question number two. Wait, speak- I'm so sorry. I just want to interrupt, though, because there's some logistical problems with what you said. How does someone without a college degree get to that interview process? You'd have to completely rearrange your hiring structure. You know, what requirements do you even have at that point? I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, you're looking for somebody who's, you know, their, their CV will still have other accomplishments on there, even if it, there'll be telltale, you know, things on there. That like will, what? Like, like name some things you might see on a CV. That, or maybe you should say, hey, give me a video interview. The last time I was doing a round of hiring, I asked the candidates to send me a minute or two video clip oh, yeah, so great. that I could sort of like get catch their vibe a little better. So would you recommend something like that? Or is there something on the CV you could catch? Yeah, you could do that. Ask people what their core values are. Ask them you know, what they believe in, what they're passionate about, what matters to them. Like, I think when you get sort of, you know, understand people more at a human level, right? You know, where do you come from? What, one of the things I do, I mean, this is maybe going off topic a little bit, but you know, I, uh, I'm a judge for, we have this manual life scholarship program where we'll, we'll give scholarships out to youth who have lost a parent and have suffered as a result, you know, uh, of their uh, loss in their family. And these, like some of these kids, you just know, no matter what they do, they're just going to be a superstar based on that letter that they wrote, right? Because of the resilience, the, the grit. Like, I don't know, I think, yeah, do a, a video interview, but I would go beyond the regular interview questions, like get to something a little deeper and meaningful, right? And and try to understand the person behind, behind that. And how much are they willing to share? I think people who are willing to open up and share more, I've kind of done this as a, as a test too in interviews. I, I kind of ask questions sometimes, maybe technically a little Personal. bit. Um, but I, I, and, and I'm looking not so much about the answer is the willingness for them to answer. How much of them are they willing to share? I'm looking for people who are willing to share their humanity. Because the ones that are willing to share their humanity and show a bit of vulnerability as opposed to this perfect sort of, you know, now those are the ones I'm more interested in. 100%. The connectors. Right? I think this is great advice, especially because I know tons of brokers out there that are looking for assistance. And it's actually such a hard thing to hire for because, you know, you want someone that's trainable, that's going to be adaptive, that wants to, you know, mesh with your methods. Maybe it's virtual and, you know, you're not sure who to go to. So um, this is really great advice that people should definitely heed when looking for someone, you know, to be their right hand. And ask people what their goals are. Like, what what are your goals, right? Because someone who's really driven, uh, and this has been one of my secrets to success, has very clear goals about what they want and where they're going. They're not like, you know, whimsical floating around in their head like clouds. They know what they want, right? They, they've written their goals down, which is like step number one, if you want to be successful, right? Write your goals down. And uh, anybody who can clearly tell you what their goals are for themselves, for their life, so is somebody who's on a mission, right? And is going to probably work that much harder because they've got like that, that GPS, right? To navigate the direction of their life. Well, I, I, I definitely feel 
that coming out of you really hot, uh, Kyra, just, <laughs> just being real. And, and that's kind of why you're a leader in that position. So, yeah. so when you were asked a question just now, like, and this is what I want our community and our audience to really understand. You're listening to Kyra Wong being sharing her insight on hiring practice. That's not a small question. It's a big question. Because we were talking about how to break glass ceilings. How do you get that interview? And you're literally getting the answers for you. Yep. This yeah. is a person who m- makes light out of everything with, with a unicorn mask. But <laughs> take off the mask off Kyra for a second. Where are your goals? How serious are you about your success if you don't have your goals written down? Yeah. So, yeah. so yes, be yourself. Yes. But the prerequisites here are not that heavy. Have a clear direction. Don't come into my office and ask for help if you can't help yourself. Absolutely. So I, I love where this is going. I love it. I love it. And Laura is like, how many journals do we have around when every time we meet? Like everything we say is yes. Yes. <laughs> I just have to clear my desk. It says yeah. it says achievement journal. Because that's what it <laughs> yes. is. This is an achievement journal. Yes. Volume, wait, what volume is this? Volume eight, yes. quarterly. So, 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 that's so, awesome. so that's that, awesome. but that's what I'll say. Like you, you cannot have a conversation with leaders and not have the same clues in every conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you're looking for inspo, business inspo, whether that is from business successes, whether that's looking at your, your fellow women in leadership positions, your fellow anything, whatever it is you're looking for, all those people share that same drive, but they've done it, although everybody does it differently, we all had to write it down. We always <laughs> had to wake up and look in the mirror in the morning and say, fuck, like, I don't feel like going to work today, but I'm going to smash today. Yeah. Like, it's... That's right. That's inside. Yeah. That's yeah. inside. And people are like, oh, how are you so happy every day? Bitch, who said I'm happy? <laughs> but I okay. have to get through this today. All right, guys, I want to share something with you. And I mean, you should all know I'm a Capricorn. I'm not superstitious. <laughs> all right. So... I'm also supposedly obsessed with work as a Capricorn. Anyways, I have a three-page affirmation. All these statements start with I am, not I want to be. Yes. Like, you know, um, I am a sought-after thought leader building multi-million dollar businesses and work with passion and conviction daily. Boom. Bam, etc. That was my mother interrupting me, of course. <laughs> I'm committed to leading an exceptional life characterized by personal growth, professional excellence, and compassion for those around me every single day. My, my yes. beautiful ladies, my Done. beautiful ladies, I have to prepare for a six. Um, I, I can't thank yes, Laura Martin enough for setting this up. Kyra, you're a gem. You're an oh, inspiration, you. uh, and uh, uh, I can't wait to, to share this with you, uh, so you can share it with your with your community and your audience. We'll definitely be tagging you and making sure we're connected on all major platforms, um, as well. If you're, I'm not sure if you're on Clubhouse. Uh, yes, I got there because of Laura. <laughs> yeah, so, I dragged her out. 
Uh, awesome. So if you are there, uh, we do have Tuesday and Thursday nights at eight. Uh, we're probably in the next couple of weeks going to be making a change to make it probably one day during the daytime, uh, only because mm-hmm. I'm legitimately exhausted by the time yeah. we get there. But we've yeah. had some tremendous conversations, and I think you would be an extremely appropriate fit, uh, especially because of your business leadership and experience in life. I think you would have a very big impact on people in those rooms. Okay, so, awesome. So, so we'll definitely reach out. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Yeah.